We are here in partly sunny, partly humid Richmond, Virginia at Robbins Stadium for Delaware's second CAA game against the University of Richmond. And no other than big man Charles Scarf on the corner of the end zone for a Delaware touchdown. Looking to pass the man cue, so fire towards the far side, incomplete, and that one gets intercepted off a hit. Hands off to Lee, it's going to be a little flea flicker to Walker, Walker aiming downfield. Has a man, and it is complete to Jamie Jarman. Good protection in the pocket. Fires was the middle of the field and intercepted. We heard him talking, and he said, I'm going to silence the haters. Look to pass. Has a man. Has way beat. Wide open. That looks like Vinny Papali. Wow, what a root there by Vinny Papali. Blowing his man away. Leaving him in the dust. And wide open. Overthrows him and intercepted. And it falls again. Another tip and another interception here for the Blue Hens. Ball is flying. And is that intercepted? That might be the catch of the year. What an absolute grab by Nasir Adderley. I saw his interception at Towson that made Sports Center top 10. And I can almost guarantee if this one's on film, this one will see top 10 as well. Barreling up the middle goes Kanai Kane, and that gets the first down, and that gets the victory. The Blue Hens finally can say they have their CAA win. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Delaware Football Roundup by WVUD Sports. I'm Sports Director Brandon Hovec. Today, joined by Nick DeLaglio, all-star sports broadcaster for WVUD Sports from the road, as he called Richmond versus Delaware this afternoon on his way back from Virginia as we speak to help me break down Delaware's victory over the Richmond Spiders. The Blue Hens got out to an early lead, scoring 33 points in the first half, the most they had scored in the first half since 2013. Things got a little interesting at the end of the fourth quarter. Richmond made a little bit of a comeback, but when it comes down to it, Delaware able to secure the 43-28 victory, their first in CAA play, and the 100th in head coach Danny Rocco's coaching career. Nick, lots to get into in this game on both the defense and and offensive sides of the football. We'll start with the defense, though. Six turnovers forced by the Delaware defense, which helps them get out to that early start. What did you see from the Hens all afternoon? I saw a pretty well-rounded defensive performance. There was points and times where, you know, you saw the defense bend a little bit. But overall, they didn't break. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away. Um, definitely when Richmond was coming back uh, and then Ray Jones and Adderley fourth quarter, I think that really just sealed the deal. And it showed that the defense was here, you know, back up the offense because the offense was struggling in the fourth quarter. Uh Caruso did come in. So overall, I think the defense played solid, and it was a good team effort. Two weeks ago, they had probably their roughest performance of the season against North Dakota State, where they give up 38 points, but 28 of those come in the first quarter. So they really got down early, and North Dakota State at some point in that game kind of took their foot off the gas, or else they could have scored more against the Delaware defense. Today, it seemed like they were really back to their ways, probably last season, an even better performance than a lot of the games last season, where they were getting turnovers and making plays for the offense that they were able to turn into points. Coming into this game, Delaware was toward the bottom of the CAA in takeaways, a category that they were at the top of last season. But when you get six of them in one game, you're going to flip that script pretty quickly. They're going to be among the CAA leaders just after that in turnovers coming out of this one. How important is it for the Delaware defense to make plays like they did today to help out the offense? Oh, the turnovers are so important. I think 
what uh, makes them really important is how early they get them in games, too. We saw first the safety, which was really nice by the special teams. And then the next play, or I think it was the play, I forget what the score was, but um, that pick six by, I think it was Colby Reader. That right. was early on. I'm pretty sure that was still in the first quarter. Yeah, so it was. It's important to get turnovers, but it's also really important to get them in the first quarter and the first half because that, that gets your offense going and it lets them get out the big leads like they had today. So, you know, when it was 33-10, you could attribute that a lot to the turnovers and the defense gave the offense good field position. The offense worked with it, so it worked out pretty well. 24 points off those six Delaware takeaways. The first, as you mentioned, came by Colby Reader. How about that play? That was kind of... It catches you by surprise the way he was able to take the ball away from the receiver, a lot of blue hens in the area, and then as soon as he gets it, I mean, he's not touched. He's in for six the other way. No, yeah, that's a heck of a play, and that's one of the plays where, you know, you see the receiver go down, you kind of look away, me and Jake look away, then we look back up, and we're like, oh, wow, he still has the ball, and he's taking it back to the house. So it's one of those plays where you keep fighting until the whistle blows, and it was a really good play by Reader. So Colby gets the first one. Then we see Charles Bell and Nigel Hill come up with interceptions in the first half. Then in the second half, three interceptions by the defensive backs, one from Ray Jones, as you mentioned, and then two from Nasir Adderley, including one highlight real catch uh, late in the game where he's laying out down the field in one-on-one coverage. Two big plays from Adderley a couple weeks after he got, I guess, the monkey off his back getting his first takeaway of the season against Cornell. Uh, He comes back into this game against Richmond, and once again, Nasir Adderley making a big difference from that safety position, especially to that one where he lays out for it, Nick. How impressive was it to see that catch live? Because nobody back here in Newark watching it and watching the replays, it was really impressive. What did you see from him in the game action live at full speed? Yeah, that was a phenomenal catch by Adderley, and I think the best part was he didn't give up on that play. Um, the quarterback for Richmond, uh, Mancuso, he just kind of threw it up. And me and Jake were kind of expecting, like, all right, here comes a long ball. And he kind of overthrew the receiver, and the receiver kind of stopped running. But Adderley kept going, and he didn't give up. And he full-on just stretched out for it. And it was a heck of a grab. Uh, he didn't let the ground really impact the catch. And it was just a really great play from Adderley. It just shows what type of plays he makes on the defense and how he's you know, that defensive captain for this unit. Absolutely. He comes up big for the Blue Hens. As we mentioned, Colby Reader also making the big play, and Ray Jones had one, even though at one point in the game it looked like he was banged up a little bit. He's able to come back in and make a pick. So these guys that we talked about earlier in the season maybe underperforming a little bit, they come through, but it wasn't all roses for the defense. They did give up a whole lot of yardage to this Richmond offense, 608 yards to be exact, 489 of those coming through the air. Those are both season highs for the defense to be allowing to their opponent. Joe Mancuso made his first start of the season in relief of Kevin Johnson, who had to miss this game because of concussion-like symptoms. And they were really pushing the ball down the field through the air throughout the entire afternoon. And they did it so with a lot of success. The yardage looks good. Granted, they did turn the ball over six times. But talk about, Nick, some of the places that it seems the Blue Hens defense still needs to improve. They have the big guys making those plays, but... All the way around, there are still some places that it seemed like Richmond was able to exploit them. Yeah, Mancuso played a heck of a game for Richmond, especially stepping in them cir- circumstances. And one thing I think Delaware definitely has to address, we talked about defensive backs, but they definitely need to tighten up there, uh, figure out what type of coverage they want to play. Because like we said, Hill got burnt numerous times. I think it was three times in total. One of them, he did slip. And then another one was a great throw by Mancuso. But nonetheless, he did get burned a couple times. So I think you definitely have to figure out what type of coverage you want to play because Elon's not going to be a tough 
or an easy task, I should say. So it's definitely going to be important for Delaware, you know, work out these kinks and tighten up on the defensive back end of the side. When somebody like Nigel Hill is getting targeted the way he did today by Richmond, what can you do as a defense to try to hide him or cover him up a little bit and not leaving? You know, the, today you see him out there a lot one-on-one down the field. If the receiver gets by him, there wasn't anybody to help. What are the types of things you can do defensively to counteract that and try to shield or hide Nigel Hill in the defense a little bit? I think the first thing is obviously you got to bring some maybe another safety over or maybe put him in like the the um the slot cornerback. Maybe not put him out wide. Definitely do some type different type of personnel though, just to make it easier on him. Because after you get burnt once or twice too, that's hard on him, and you know his car confidence starts to you know get low too. So I think it's definitely important for them to figure out what type of you know personnel they want to play. Bring another safety over, shadow him, move him over, or something along those lines. Richmond outscored Delaware twelve to nothing in the final quarter of this game. They actually scored the last three touchdowns coming to the finish. Delaware had a huge lead at forty-three to I think ten or twelve, something like that. And then Richmond started putting the foot on the gas, and they were able to push the ball down the field. And for a moment there, it looked like okay, this game's going to be a little more interesting than we thought it would be coming into halftime. How was Richmond able to to do that and put themselves in the game with their offensive play in the second half? Yeah, me and Jake mentioned it in the pregame. We knew that this offense was good. I, I saw the stat that they had um, 11 plays of more than 40 yards, not only on offense, but special teams. So this team definitely knows how to move the ball. And I think it was really impressive. Whitman Cuso, they didn't give up, and he has a heck of an arm. So they he found the soft spots in the Delaware's defense. Obviously, he attacked Hill more than once. But there was also numerous times where he threw it, you know, middle of the field. And he, his receivers made catches and made good plays. Um, so I think that just really helped him. He played really well. And they were able to move the ball effectively when Delaware defense wasn't really respecting them as much. Joe Mancuso finishes this game with 489 passing yards. He completed 27 of 37 pass attempts. And he also leads Richmond in rushing. 15 attempts for 71 rushing yards and a touchdown, including a long of 25 yards. We saw this a little bit in week one when Jawan Lawson came to Newark and had success being a mobile quarterback outside the pocket. We certainly saw it two weeks ago when Easton Stick of the North Dakota State Bison had success against the Delaware defense. And we see it yet again here today against Richmond, a quarterback like Joe Mancuso has the ability to run the ball. Seemed like he gave the Blue Hens defense some problems. Is this something that you look at as an area of concern for Delaware moving forward? Yeah, I think Delaware definitely has to work with this type of uh, containing a running uh, quarterback. There was some type of plays where they had like Reader out on the outside. He was kind of containing Mancuso when he would roll out and try to run off a of play action. But I think Delaware definitely has to uh, work out some kinks there because you definitely don't want to get beat by a quarterback. 15 for 79, like you said, was a pretty good chunk for him. And he didn't, he didn't get going until later on. So Delaware definitely, I think, has to work with some type of QB spot, QB contain type action, or to send more blitzes to kind of keep the quarterback, you know, get it, making, throw it out of his hands quicker or hopefully get a sack to him. On the offensive side of the football, Delaware excelled today, scoring over 40 points for the first time since last year's game against Richmond, where they scored 42 in double overtime. Today, it's 43 in regulation. Packy Hill leads the way, completing 11 of his 20 pass attempts for 291 passing yards and two touchdowns. Delaware had six plays in this game through the air of more than 20 yards, including a couple of big ones, a 58-yard touchdown strike to Vinny Papali, a 70-yard play to Joe Walker. Walker himself completed one down the field for 46 yards to Jamie Jarman. 
it seemed like throughout the entire afternoon, Delaware found ways to get the ball down the field, even when their defense was at times setting them up with short fields. The other times, they were flipping the field themselves through the air. Very effective day for Pat Kehoe and the Blue Hens passing offense. Yeah, the offense played really good. And I think some something that's so special about the team is how deep they are. You could not only see Pat Kehoe quarterback, but you see the, the versatility and sending Joe Walker out there running a reverse flea flicker. He throws 46 yards downfield. And just seeing all the receivers that get involved, too. I mean, not a lot of receptions from each one of them, but to see them all get involved, Joe Walker, two for 113, Papali, two for 76, and Jamie Jarman, three for 64. So it's nice to see all the receivers, uh, you know, get their own and have a good game. Yeah, Jamie Jarman was the one that so far this season hadn't really popped in any games, but he gets a team-high seven targets today. As you said, reeling in three of them for 64 yards, including that big one from Joe Walker. Is it important for Delaware to try to get a guy like that going, even though Joe Walker and Vinny Papali have had good starts to their seasons? Yeah, it definitely doesn't hurt to get him involved because he has a lot of talent. So in games where you think Walker or Papali are definitely getting more coverage looked at, I think it's important to get Jarman going as that third guy. It doesn't hurt to have three really good stud receivers. So uh, I look forward to seeing what he does in the upcoming games. Papali, another big game. He's got two catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. But Joe Walker, 113 receiving yards on two catches, including that 70-yarder we mentioned. He continues to be a big play threat. And last or two weeks ago when they lost to North Dakota State, he only had one catch for four yards. In their wins, he's really been a big factor. How do they keep getting him the ball? Are there other ways to get him involved? We see him throw a pass today. We've seen him carry the ball a little bit. Um, To me, it, it seems like get him the ball as much as possible are there other ways to get him involved? And do you agree with that assessment that Joe Walker needs the ball in his hands for this Blue Hens offense? Oh, I 100% agree. I think he might be one of the most, uh, he might be one of the best players on our offense. Athletically, uh, he's something else. And getting him the ball is really important. You know, usually you expect him that they throw like drag or slant routes to him, but instead yeah. of throwing deep routes to him, and he's just going up there and he's adjusting to the ball and he's playing great. And then, like you said, just the, having the thought of him being able to throw the ball downfield like that just to switch up the offense is really good and then he was in the wildcat formation in the goal line so his versatility is something that's really important to this offense and if you get him going early I think it's a big uh, important part to the success of the Blue Hens offense. How would you assess the way that Pat Kehoe played today? Oh, I think it was another great game by Kehoe when you look at his stats he only had 11 completions for 291 yards so that just really shows how much the Blue Hens offense was focused on pushing the ball down the field and um, he was just making good throws. Sometimes the receivers weren't looking, and he was still putting the ball there, and when they turned, it was right there. Uh, he played well, under pressure, went, went through all his progressions really well, and it was another really great game for Keo and I hope gave him more confidence, especially coming off that tough loss in North Dakota State. Do you think Kehoe is more like the guy we saw today and the guy we saw in the wins in weeks two and three, or do you still, or do you think, not still think, but do you think he has some of those flaws that we saw against North Dakota State? You know, where do you sit through five games with him? Kind of when you go into a game six, not necessarily against any particular opponent, but when you just think about what Pat Kehoe is going to give the Blue Hens, where does he kind of fall in the spectrum of the North Dakota State game to today? What's really the real Pat Kehoe? Yeah, I think the real Pat Kehoe is what we've seen today. And like you alluded to, week one and two, and then against Cornell in week three as well. I think they're just, I think he, once he settles in, he plays really well. 
And then that in that North Dakota State game, I think that the pressure was just really high. They came out, they were already losing. And then he throws a pick, and just like that, they're down 14 nothing. So if you keep him calm, and if you get him going early, I think he'll be just fine. So I'm, I believe, still believe in Pat Keogh moving forward. He's now completed eight touchdown passes to four turnovers, all four of those coming two weeks ago in the game against North Dakota State. Although he almost had one pick today, which wasn't really his fault, but it was that play where the ball kind of hung up on Jamie Jarman and the defensive back almost pulled it off of him, uh, but they ended up reviewing it and calling it incomplete, which helped the Blue Hens keep a touchdown drive alive. But that was actually the play right after Charles Bell picked it off in the game. I still think was within a score for Richmond. Uh, So that could have been a turning point, but today everything kind of going Delaware's way and they're able to play a clean game until J.P. Caruso comes in in relief and he throws an interception during that Richmond comeback, if you want to call it that. There, you know, we don't want to perseverate on this too much. Delaware came out of this thing with still a huge win, but we both talking about it before we came on the pod, we both found it a little interesting that J.P. Caruso played as much as he did, particularly with the way that Richmond was coming back into the game. Yeah, and I don't, I don't really understand the whole Caruso thing. And I think if, if Pat Keel finishes that, this game, I don't think uh, the score is this close. I think we still blow him out by probably 30, 35. Uh, I just think Keel adds that sense because when Caruso comes in, you're like, all right, they're probably just going to run the ball here and kill the clock. And that's what we did. We just didn't do it effectively. So I don't really love Caruso coming in. I mean, yeah, you want to have him, you know, throw a couple of attempts, but it's not like you got any quality attempts out of it. Like you said, one for three, negative six yards. And he threw that costly interception, which led to another scoring drive by Richmond. So I don't really love putting Caruso in, but thankfully it didn't hurt the Blue Hens in the end. Once Caruso comes in and he leads Delaware in those two or three drives that he did, is it possible or is it something that you think about bringing Pat Kehoe back into the game? Or once Kehoe's out, do you have to keep him on the bench and leave Caruso in? Oh, if it got if it got to within two scores, we're bringing Keo in a hundred percent, and that's why I didn't really like taking Keo out because you take Keo out and he's sitting out for what 20, 30 minutes, and the next thing you know, it's a two possession game, and he's got to come in where this actually matters, and he might not be warmed up. You know, he's been sitting on the bench now; he hasn't been playing. So I really didn't like that they uh, put in Caruso, but like I said, it didn't really hurt us, and uh, I definitely would have brought uh, Keo back in though if I got within two scores. One other interesting thing personnel-wise offensively was in the backfield. Dejon Lee takes the first carry for the Blue Hens today and ends up their leading rusher in terms of yardage gained, 64 yards, and attempts, 17. It's the opposite of what we've seen through the first four games of the season where Kanai Kane is the lead guy and Dejon Lee's the change of pace. Today, Lee was the lead guy, and Kane still got his touches, 12 carries, but he was more the change of pace guy. What did you think of the decision to feature Dejon Lee more prominently? And what do you think the two running backs' roles are going to be moving forward? Yeah, I, I had no problem with Lee coming in early to start the game. The uh, part that startled me or confused me was when they were trying to run the clock out in the fourth quarter. I feel like Kanai Kane's that guy that you give it to and say, all right, run it up the gut here, get seven or eight yards, and let's keep the chains moving and clock this game. So I found that a little interesting. I, like I said, I have no problem with Lee starting and Kanai Kane being that goal line back. And moving forward, I think it's probably going to be much of the same. We'll probably see Lee get, you know, 12 to 15. You'll see Kane get 10 to 15, also depending on how close it comes to the goal line. So I expect to see the same. But I, I would expect to see more Kane in the fourth quarter in those crunch moments where, you know, it's third and two, third and three, or even third and one. We also saw a little bit of Andre Robinson earlier in the game that we've seen him through the first couple of games this season. Didn't see any Corey Sproul today. Don't know if he's 
injured or anything like that or just didn't factor into the game plan this week. But again, it was mostly Dejon Lee early on. Kanai Kane got his dose near the goal line. He scores two touchdowns in this one, but Lee leads the team in terms of rushing yards. And the other thing offensively that I noticed, and you guys kind of mentioned a few times, and it goes right along with the stat line for Delaware, is that the Blue Hens seem to open things up a little bit more than we saw, especially against North Dakota State, where they're in a lot of two tight end sets and just kind of jamming the ball up the middle and not being quite as creative as they were today. Today, it seemed like they were spreading things out a little bit more, letting Pacquiao get the ball down the field. We saw a lot of the three receiver set with Walker, Jarman, and Papali, which gets another skill guy out there. And it seemed to work today. You know, it's it's one matchup. It's one game plan against a team that came into this not as one of the better teams in the conference defensively. But I kind of see it as maybe a sign of the times that Delaware might be better off spreading things out a little bit more often than we saw at the beginning of the season when it was a lot of two tight end set, a lot of play action, and a lot of just pounding Kanai Kane into the line. No, yeah, I definitely agree. I think a three wide receiver set definitely helps more, especially when they have three guys that are capable of being good right. receivers. Why not play all three of them out there? And I think this adds another element because, you know, when you're three receivers out there, it's not necessarily like, oh, they're going to run the ball every time. But two tight ends, you're more inclined to think that they're going to run the ball. So I definitely like them changing the personnel a little bit and going with three receivers. So Delaware comes out of here with the 43-28 to win. It moves them to 3-2 and two on the season and 1-1 one and one in CIA play, which puts them firmly back into the middle of the pack of the conference. But this coming week, they'll face a team that's now at the top of the conference in the Elon Phoenix, who are undefeated in CIA play after knocking off number two ranked James Madison this afternoon, a 27-24 final. It was James Madison's first loss to a CIA team since 2015. The Dukes had not lost in the regular season since that time either, having made it deep in the FCS playoffs each of the last few years, including their 2016 National Championship. Elon, however, after a big year last year where they win eight games and make it to the playoffs, off to an extremely strong start, getting that road win against James Madison in Harrisonburg this afternoon. And they're going to be riding a lot of momentum, no doubt, into next week's matchup in Newark for Parents and Family Weekend. On paper, Nick... An exciting matchup, a fun matchup, but certainly a challenging matchup on tap for the Blue Hens as we spin this thing forward. Yeah, definitely going to be a big game for the Blue Hens. And, you know, like you said, Elon's coming to us. And I think the biggest thing for the Blue Hens is they can't let this game slip away like North Dakota State. Obviously, North Dakota State and Elon are two different animals here. But you can't, as you said, Elon beat JMU, who's always competing up there with North Dakota State. So I definitely think it's going to be a good game. And Delaware's going to have to bring their A game if they want to have an upset here at home. Elon running back Malcolm Summers today really took control of the matchup. He had a 50-plus yard touchdown run in crunch time, which was one of the deciding factors deep in that game between Elon and JMU. He ran for over 100 yards and got in the end zone a couple of times. So it's a team that does want to run the football, and they have effectively the last couple of years, up against the Delaware defense that has been strong against the run. They did look a little porous against NDSU, but if you throw that game out the window so far they've been really strong against the run they didn't give up much to Rhode Island in week one today they give up 119 rushing yards but the average isn't great 3.7 yards per carry and a lot of that came from the quarterback how do you look at that matchup a really good running offense versus a very talented run defense from Delaware yeah and if you look at Delaware's run defense take away uh Mancuso running play it's 80 yards uh gone so Delaware's run defense has been really well against running backs they haven't seen 
that many star running backs, I feel like. So this is definitely going to be a big task for them. But if they stack the box against them, they're just going to have to hope that their cornerbacks uh, and DBs play pretty well. But I think Delaware should be able to contain uh, the running force from Elon. If they do decide to be more aggressive in putting guys up near the line of scrimmage to defend the running attack of Elon, are you worried about what might happen on the back end, as we discussed with Nigel Hill earlier, who was hit for some pretty deep plays when he was left one-on-one? I think it's all just going to come down to the personnel. I think you can't really say what you think is going to happen now. I think as the game moves on, Delaware's definitely going to have to adjust. If they see that... uh, that Elon's running the ball well, and then they start to stack the box, and then Elon starts taking shots. Delaware's definitely going to have to adjust to that, but I think I would definitely start probably stacking the box if Elon's um, running well, and then just go from there, and then wherever, whoever needs safety help here and there. And like I said, I wouldn't want to see Delaware start blitzing a lot. I think if blitzing could help them. Uh, it does give them make them vulnerable over the top, but if they get to the quarterback or the running back in time, it shouldn't matter. I asked you about Pat Kehoe earlier, but I guess put differently, I want to bring him up again here in the context of this matchup against Elon. What are your expectations coming back home for Pacquiao in now another pressure-filled game? Probably you know, not to the same extent that North Dakota State was, but it's going to be the biggest CAA game of the season, most likely, for Delaware next week, coming just off this one CAA game. What are your expectations for Pacquiao? Are there specific things for the Delaware offense to keep in mind to make him run most efficiently, just kind of overall, what are your expectations for him? Yeah, I expect a lot better, a much better game from Keo. Um, I think the bye week probably really helped him as coming off that tough loss to North Dakota State. You know, he got to clear his head, he got to look at the film, see where he went wrong. And then I think today, today's game was a really good confidence booster for him. So I think he should come into this home game being calm. He knows he has weapons around him, he knows he can make plays. And the thing I like about Keo is if you get him going in the play action, he delivers. And I think that's where he thrives most. So, I expect Keo to have a good game. If they get going early and you know they keep it competitive, they don't fall too far behind. There's no reason why Keo shouldn't perform against this Elon team. Next weekend is Parents and Family Weekend in Newark. What do you expect to see from the Delaware crowd? Do you think that this win is enough to kind of win the Blue Hens fans back in a sense that had not given up on the team but had been down on the team? after the loss to Rhode Island and then the blowout loss to North Dakota State. Do you expect that crowd to kind of bounce back and rebound with a big matchup and with it being parents and family weekend? Yeah, I think this is uh, – you couldn't have picked a better matchup for parents weekend because I think regardless of who they were going to play, parents and their kids were probably going to go just because their parents were here. But now that's even bigger of a game, they're going to see that Elon just knocked out JMU. I think the crowd's going to be there. I think the crowd's going to be loud. And hopefully the crowd has a factor in the game. Hopefully the crowd gets the defense hype, the offense hype, and – I would love to see the uh, crowd be back in this thing, and I think they will be. Yeah, I think I think it has the potential to be a big fun one. It kind of brings me back to that game against Richmond last season, where that was probably the loudest and most electric that Delaware Stadium and Tubby Raven Field has really been in my four years here. And probably, I mean, for last season, being your freshman year, Nick, that was probably the the most exciting home game that you saw. And it'd be pretty cool if we could have something like that again for this Elon game. No, yeah, I think that game that game last year was definitely electric. I think this one can definitely live up to the hype. Uh, I, there's no reason why parents and students shouldn't come, shouldn't come to this game. It's definitely going to be a treat if Delaware can compete. I mentioned it off the top, Nick, but you and Jake, who did the broadcast for us this afternoon, you're on your way back from Richmond. You're grinding today. It's almost 10 p.m. Eastern time, and you guys are, what, 
40, 30 minutes from Newark, still pushing out the content. You guys, you guys are killing it today. You guys are grinding. Yeah, uh, I met Jake at the North Campus Bridge at 820. We're looking at a 1024 return to Newark, dropping off the car and everything. So we're looking at, at a nice, let me do my math again, 15-hour day probably. But it was definitely worth it, especially because the Blue Hens won. So it was a good experience. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Nick, and I know our audience does as well. I want to ask you one more thing, and I guess I didn't get your pulse necessarily after the North Dakota State game, but I can imagine it might have been a little bit down from where it was after three weeks. Now coming into it, open date, game five out of the way. Delaware has a one and one CAA record. Where do your expectations lie for this team? Did this game do anything to alter what you think Delaware is going to be long-term through the rest of this season? I think this game was really important for Delaware. We, you know, Richmond might not be as a superior or as good of an opponent as they used to be. Obviously, they lost all that. But I think this was a big win nonetheless, uh, even by the margin that they had. I think this is going to give this team a lot of spark, and I think this is a perfect uh, game to have before having an Elon game at home, parents weekend. Uh, I think it's going to provide a great spark. And if Delaware can beat Elon, then they can definitely go deep in the CAA. And uh, I like them moving forward. I think they're definitely going to be a good team. I can only see them maybe only three or four losses total. So uh, my expectations have probably stayed the same so far. We kind of discussed this a little bit before the North Dakota State game, but we were hesitant to get into it too much. What I'm going to pose here as we wrap things up on the show is typically when people our fans look at a big matchup, they think of the negatives, like what will happen to Delaware should they lose to Elon. And Elon will be a road favorite coming in here to Delaware Stadium. But on the flip side, you know, what's the reward, the the benefit of going up against a team that's going to be ranked top 10, maybe top 5 in the nation? What would be the, the benefit of beating that team? Would that be a type of win that could put Delaware football back on the map, back into the top 25, maybe back into the top 15 where they started this season. Oh, 100%. I, I, I like the fact that they're not favored. I think this is going to put a big chip on, you know, the whole team's shoulders. They're going to want to come into this game, especially at, I love that it's home too. Um, and this is a really big game. Like you said, they pulled this game off. We could easily see them being ranked again. And this could revive the Delaware football program. You know, there's been, you know, hints where we're getting better. There's been hints where we're not getting better. But this could be the game that seals the deal and really gets everyone convinced that Delaware's here to stay. And they could be a CAA powerhouse moving forward. All right, Nick, anything else before we sign off? Any other thoughts or anything else you wanted to bring up? Uh, I don't think so. I have a really good game from Delaware, and hopefully uh, they translate in the next week against Elon. should be a really good matchup. All right, well, thank you very much for joining me on the Delaware Football Roundup, Nick. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Delaware will match up next Saturday against the Elon Phoenix at 3.30 p.m. Our pregame coverage begins at 3.15 on 91.3 WVUD. That'll do it for the Delaware Football Roundup. For Nick DeLaglio, Jake Lampert, and the entire WVD sports crew involved in our coverage this afternoon, I'm Brandon Hovack. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time.